Okay, um, we're in Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7 this morning. I want to start by asking you to imagine, I want you to imagine meeting the greatest man who ever lived, okay? So you're meeting the greatest man who ever lived, and I want you to imagine that the only words that he says to you are the greatest compliment that he's ever given. Because that's our story this morning. Jesus, of course, being the greatest man who ever lived, is going to give the most unlikely person the greatest compliment that you will find in the entire Gospel of Luke. Okay? Luke chapter 7, verse 1. After Jesus had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, so chapter 6 is this long sermon we just finished, he enters Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death. Greek also suggests that he was suffering greatly. He was in pain. Said the centurion's servant was highly valued by him. Verse 3, when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. Now you have to understand, it is rare that you will find a Roman official who is loved by the Jews. The Romans were occupying Judea, military occupation, right? This man, though, had earned a reputation of being a friend of the Jews. Verse 6, Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. So he's saying, you don't have to come inside. I know you have the power to just say it, and it will happen. Right? So we can already see this man's faith. We can already see his heart. He, he has a tremendous respect for Jesus. He has also this obvious humility. But there's more. Look at verse 8. For, he says, I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me, a hundred soldiers to be exact. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. What an amazing compliment this is. For Jesus, a Jew, 
the Savior of the, of the world, right, but the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, to publicly honor a Roman centurion saying to a crowd of Jews, this man has more faith than all of you. It's, it's really amazing. Why? What is it about verse 8 that shows Jesus this man's faith? I want to look at it again. Let's put it up on the screen. Verse 8, For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one go, and he goes, to another come, and he comes, and to my servant do this, and he does it. Now, I have to admit, this used to be a very confusing passage for me because I did not understand Jesus' perception of his own ministry. The centurion recognizes that Jesus is a very powerful man because he's a man under authority. And that made no sense to me because I thought for a long time that power came from being in authority. But Jesus agrees with the centurion, commends the man for his faith, because he seems to understand something that that I didn't. It's that in God's kingdom, all power and authority are derived from God. The centurion had authority because he was the servant of the emperor. His authority over his soldiers was derived from the authority of his ruler. They listened to him because he served Caesar. Jesus likewise received power and authority from the Father. Now the difference, of course, is that Jesus willingly humbled himself. He willingly submitted Himself to the Father. Taking on human flesh, Jesus willingly became a servant, submitting Himself to the Father's will. And this is actually a major theme in the Gospels, especially in the Gospel of John. And I just want you to witness that as we, as we talk about it. Uh, first of all, John chapter 5, verse 30, Jesus says, I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Then again in chapter 6, John 6, 38, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Then in Philippians chapter 2, the apostle Paul explains that Jesus submitted to the Father willingly for the glory of God, and to demonstrate to us an important aspect of the kingdom. I'm going to read this as well. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or to be held on to. Instead, Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant 
being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, Paul says, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you think about, even so far in the Gospel of Luke, over and over again, Jesus is demonstrating his incredible power. When Caleb preached, both of those sermons were a reflection of Jesus' authority over sin and sickness and death and all of the things that, uh, that we experience in this world. Jesus is showing us his power over even demon possession, right? Even the weather, Jesus has control of. But in his own words, Jesus explicitly says that everything he did in his earthly ministry was under the authority of the Father. And the centurion recognizes that Jesus is a servant. And Jesus calls that faith. you think back to the beginning of Luke, to the very first picture that we saw of Jesus. Luke actually records for us the first words of Jesus. Jesus was 12 years old. He was missing for three days. Joseph and Mary were frantically searching for him. They find him in the temple. And what did Jesus say to them? Do you remember this? Luke chapter 2, verse 49, Jesus says, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be where? In my Father's house. And again, those were the first words of Jesus in the Bible. This recognition that God is my Father, I am his son, 12 years old. He's already honoring his father. But if you remember, we talked about this was also the first sign that something is is wrong with everyone else in the world. Jesus seems to be recognizing, even his own parents, how could you miss this? How could you not know this is where you would find me? In my father's house. So Jesus becomes aware of the fact that we, that other human beings, don't seem to have the kind of relationship with the Father that He does. And that He was the only one who could fix that. And we're going to switch gears a second. I want you to think about the fifth commandment. Do you remember the fifth commandment? Kids, do y'all probably, some of y'all may know this one, right? Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Okay, it's one of the original Ten Commandments, repeated often in Scripture. The Apostle Paul calls this the only command with a promise. 
The promise being, if you honor and obey your parents, you will be blessed. You see that? I once heard this described as a circle of blessing. Okay, so think with me, kids. Our parents set appropriate rules and boundaries for us. They do the best they can. They're not always perfect, right? But they, they try to set appropriate boundaries and rules for children, right? They tell us what they expect from us. And when we honor and obey our parents, when we do the things that they expect of us, it's like standing inside a circle of blessing, right? There are, or at least there should be parents, rewards, not bribes, but rewards for staying inside that circle. But if we step outside the circle, also important parents, is there should be consequences for stepping outside the circle, right? You're not loving your children well if you do not have consequences for stepping outside the circle of blessing. Now, I want you to understand that Jesus, according to the Scriptures, Jesus is the only person who has ever lived on the earth who never, ever stepped outside the circle. We, young and old, all of us, we were outside the circle, but Jesus only ever did all that his father wanted him to do. Never broke a rule. Never crossed that line. Even his death on the cross, when he carried our sins and guilt, the scriptures clearly teach that in doing so, he was being obedient to the father. And that's how Jesus made it possible for us to get back inside the circle of blessing. His perfect obedience is available to us because God says that we can be united to Jesus by faith, which is what we talked about earlier when we were talking about Abraham. His righteousness being credited to us, received by faith. And what is faith? Faith is trusting the authority of our perfect king. We trust. We trust that he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Just like the centurion, we are not worthy to go to Jesus. We are not worthy even to receive Jesus but we ask for help in faith, trusting His power to make things right. Like the servant, we were sick and dying and helpless, completely lost in sin, which is kind of the major theme of the Gospel of Luke. And only an encounter with Jesus could save us. And when that happens, God places us back inside the circle of blessing, something that the Bible calls union with Christ, which is, I think, the central doctrine of salvation in Scripture. 
our union with Jesus is the foundation for all the blessings that we have available to us as Christians, including the power to change and to mature as believers. And it's important to understand, we get back in the circle because of Jesus. We stay in the circle because of Jesus. But now that we are back in the circle of blessing, and this is important because it's often missed, God absolutely desires our obedience. God wants us to live every moment under His authority. He wants us to become more and more like Jesus. For our lives to begin to to mirror His character, to begin to mirror His mission, to begin to care about the things that God cares about, and care less about the things that we cared about before. We're called to live a life of service in God's kingdom. Every single Christian. We're called to submit to God's will for our lives. And it's a good and perfect will. But the path feels and looks a lot like the path of Jesus Christ Himself. Glory at the end of that path, but a lot of suffering in the middle. You understand, Jesus has the power to make everything new. And one day, He has promised that He will, because He is a good King. But if you want to experience that world, faith and repentance are absolutely necessary. Now, those are also gifts of God, according to the Scriptures. And yet, from our perspective, and this is important, understand that the Gospel is both an invitation and a challenge at the same time. God is inviting you into a new life in His kingdom, a life that is only available to you because of what Jesus did. But He's also going to ask a lot of us once we're in that kingdom. And those two things are not in conflict with each other. God takes us the way He finds us, but He never leaves us the way He found us. I want you to think of the best teacher that you've ever had. And if you can't think of a teacher, (laughs) think of a coach. Or you know, the best boss that you've ever had, or the best mentor, or music teacher, or something like that, okay? I want you to think of that person. Everybody got it? Chances are they did two things very well. The first is that they gave you access to their knowledge, their experiences, and maybe even their life. They gave you access. But the second thing is that they also challenged you to be better at something than you were before, right? 
better at math, better at piano, better at football, right? And you did not hate them for it, did you? You appreciated it. And you're a better person today because of their investment in your life. Now, part of it was the relationship. They invited you in. They gave you access. They cared for you. You knew that they cared for you. But part of it was also what the relationship demanded of you. And you were grateful for it. And that's why you're thinking of that person right now. Do you understand this is also true for followers of Jesus? He invites us into His world, right? My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Come to me, all you who are weary, heavy laden, and I will give you rest, right? That's an invitation. Free of charge, right? I want you with me. I'm giving you access to the kingdom, right? And really, I'm the one who's keeping you in it. And I think that's also important. But you have to understand as well that in inviting us in, in giving us a seat at the table, in doing everything that's necessary for us to be in, we're in, okay? We're not going out if you really are a believer in Jesus Christ. But He's also challenging us to start living for Him. To be the best version of yourself as God created you to be. To seek His kingdom. To turn from your sin. To enjoy the relationship. And get to work. Not because you have to. But because you want to. Because you get to. Because He put you back in relationship with your Creator. Because... He's given you new life because He's given you a purpose and a calling. And He's shown you that He has the power to do the things in you that He says He can do. And you're grateful. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we turn our attention to your table. We know what it represents. We know that it is a, a real means of grace for us that in partaking of this, after hearing your word, um, you've promised to be great, uh, to be gracious to us to help us to experience the gospel. To know that in our receiving and taking of that which signifies your body and blood, we are preaching the gospel to ourselves that we are united to Christ in his death and resurrection. And we take it together because this is true of us as a church. We also know, Lord Jesus, that this table doesn't belong to Christ's fellowship. It belongs to you. 
that your Holy Spirit is not beholden to any specific church or denomination, but you go where you please and you work where you please and this table is open to all those who by faith have received Christ and his work on their behalf. So Father, we pray that you would set it apart from its normal use as bread and wine and make it a means of grace for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.